University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. Uh, I had a conversation recently with my parents and I was telling them how good they looked in comparison to what my grandparents looked like at their exact same age. That's a compliment, by the way. You know, we've, we've learned uh, that living longer and we've learned to take better care of our bodies and to keep youthfulness longer than the generations that have come before us. And, and it's just all about learning. So for my grandparents' generation, they used cooking oil and margarine and everything, frying everything, learning that that stuff gives you high cholesterol and, and poor heart health. The generations that were raised up on cigarettes and the health experts finally discovered this isn't a great idea. It leads to things like lung cancer and high blood pressure and a whole host of other problems. And then there's Mr. Sun, Mr. Golden Sun. I don't re ever remember as a kid putting sunscreen on. And yet we've learned now, put it on. It's not only going to lead to skin cancer, but also ages your, your face a lot more than if you don't wear it. All these small changes learned from the generations that have come before us have led us to live longer and to look a little bit more youthful uh, for a little bit longer. We're in this series, uh, Little Big Things, and we're looking at sometimes it's the small things that make a tremendous difference. Today we're looking at intergenerational connections and why they matter for thriving. And we're looking at, more often than not, the difference between a thriving church and a floundering church is not whether they commit to these huge overarching changes, but it's the small things that make incredible differences. And we're examining the book of Acts, in which this theme repeats again and again, where it says the church grew in numbers. So for this week, we're looking at a very curious passage in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. It says, On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept talking until midnight. You've never heard that from me before, right? How long is he going to go on for? The good news is, the clock is in the back of the sanctuary, not behind me here. Verse 8. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where they were meeting. Seated in one of the windows was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground to the third story and was picked up dead. Okay, that's an awful story. We've got to understand this properly. Paul has been preaching for so long that this kid quite literally falls to his death asleep out the window. It's, it's a tragic story. But there's a glaring fact that we can't ignore from this. Yep, even ancient kids thought that church was so boring. I mean, how boring was Paul's sermon that he had this teenager not only fall asleep, but fell asleep to his death out a window? This may surprise you, but... When I was a kid, I hated sitting in church. I couldn't think of anything worse than sitting still for one hour, standing up, sitting down, standing up, sitting down, and then listen to the pastor droll on and on and on. 
And when I would get restless and get out of line, there was nothing worse than having my father lean over with his hot breath in my ear to remind me to sit up straight and to sit still. When I got older, I used to sneak out of church. Uh, by the age of eight, I could tell you where all the roof accesses were in my home church. One year, uh, I gave my mother a craft on Mother's Day um, that I made that morning when I snuck out of worship. And she loved it right into the point that she found out when I made that craft for her. It's a universally proven fact across time and the space continuum that kids find church boring. And Eutychus was an unfortunate name and a set of circumstances that led to his young demise. But his death does raise an interesting conversation about generational differences within the church. If ancient texts could grab a closing quote from the boy that fell out of the window to his death, he might have said something about how it was disengaging, uninteresting, and unapplicable of Paul's marathon sermon. The fact of the matter is that generation gaps do exist in our churches. Often they rear their ugly heads in diverse conflict that arise over worship style and programs and evangelism tactics and leadership opportunities or lack thereof, use of the budget, inclusiveness and exclusiveness towards certain types of people, theological differences, and either an apathetic or a proactive response to injustices in our community and around the world. We allow generational stereotypes to create a lens by which we look at others of different ages. Lazy and entitled, tech-obsessed and over-eager. These are just a few terms that many older people think about of younger generations. Younger members may perceive older generations as difficult and closed-minded and stubborn and set in their ways. Generational divides have the potential to create conflict among churches who hold differing views, priorities, and attitudes towards the congregation. And because these generational gaps exist and divide us, this is why it's so common in our day and age that you find two different types of churches. One, a church composed mostly of young people, or two, a church composed mostly of older people. And without knowing it, or realizing it, before it's too late, many churches will choke the life out of one generation or another over generational gaps and differences. One generation will mute out the voice of others because, well, they think they know best. Another generation will ignore the concerns and values of the others because they believe they're bigoted or outdated or unfit. One generation will not empower another generation because they think they need more experience and time. Another generation will decline to empower another generation because they believe they're too old or don't bring anything of value to fulfill the vision. One generation can push another generation out the proverbial window. One generation can divide and eventually kill a church. The growing trend right now, again in America is to have a homogenous or an exclusive congregation, meaning most churches either are composed of people of older people or they're composed of just younger people, missing out on intergenerational experiences. So from our text, there's a dead teenager fallen from a window after falling asleep in Paul's boring sermon. Look at what happens in verse 10. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. 
Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. What a remarkably peculiar story. Tragedy produces a miracle. Eutychus is brought back to life. Theologically, something much more profound is happening here. Life didn't only just come back to Eutychus, but new life and perspective were given to the church. Here's the other good set of news. Paul most likely learned his lesson not to preach such a long sermon ever again, because we don't read again in the book of Acts that he quite literally bored someone to death. This is a powerful and rare story at a glimpse into the intergenerational connections within a church. Paul personally knew the power of intergenerational connections within the church. If you recall, the early part of the book of Acts, Paul was an actual enemy of the church, murderously persecuting the early followers of Jesus. He's on his way to Damascus to round up a large group of Jesus followers when he's met on the road by Jesus and is blinded by the experience. He's taken to an inn where he is cared and nurtured for back to health. A man named Ananias was sent by God to cure Paul of his blindness and to baptize him into the Christian faith. When Paul eventually made it to Jerusalem, the church was scared to death of him. After all, this, this is the guy they witnessed stir up a crowd and have Stephen stoned to death. But along the way, a man named Barnabas nurtured him. He mentored him. He cared for Paul when no one else would. Barnabas saw beyond the fear and past mistakes to see what God saw, a young man with passion that could be used by God for good purpose. Barnabas would become a, a companion to Paul over many decades. And we know Paul's name because of Barnabas, a much older man who was willing to invest his time and his wisdom and his patience and his friendship. And do you know what happened as a result of this intergenerational partnership? You guessed it. Acts 9.31 says, Then the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. So will we be a church that allows generational differences to cause us to flounder? So if we want to embrace all generations, then we need to do something very important, is to recognize and embrace our differences. We, we're living longer than we've ever lived in humankind. In 2018, there were approximately 52.4 adults aged 65 and older. We can expect this, uh, will nearly, this figure will nearly double to 94.7 million by 2060. One study predicts that half of all children born in the Western societies today will celebrate their 100th birthday. And while we're living longer, our society is experiencing profound challenges as a result in education and health and work and retirement and family and caregiving and civic engagement and churches within politics and a sense of belonging and more. Ageism and age discrimination affects the young and the old. Internalized ageism affects our bodies in, in, in difficult ways with depression and high risk of cognitive impairment. It, it, it costs... Uh, there's a cost expenditure around $63 billion annually as a result. 
The difference between older and younger generations is preferred communication styles. Almost, it's become almost a cliche. Generation Y sends text messages and tweets and direct messages while baby boomers and, and Gen Xers prefer phone calls and emails. We, we all have different communication styles and practices, and this creates serious gaps and challenges within us. And overcoming existing stereotypes is hard, and it takes a conscious effort to see beyond the preconceived notions and our set understanding of how things should be to fully embrace members of all generations. And generational gaps occur because of the context and circumstances that influence a certain type of group. The, the vernacular within our communication is different. And, and communication is merely just the tip of the iceberg, if you will, of the myriad of differences that exist within six generations represented within most churches. Expectations are, are so different based on which generation you come from, not to mention the way that you dress, the music you do and do not listen to, the cultural heroes, the bend towards progress, the views of government and institutions and in the past. Generational gaps exist and cause many barriers within the church, not only for thriving, but for relationships. But do congregations embrace and recognize these differences, or do they let them create tension and conflict and stagnation? You all know uh, the names Bill and Mary Lou Booth, right? Probably not, because you've probably never been to Apex, North Carolina. Uh, they were members of church that I, I grew up in. Bill and Mary Lou are, are members um, of a church, and, and they, they were paired with me at, in sixth grade, to be my prayer partners. And once per month, they would send me a letter in the mail, uh, letting me know of all the ways they prayed for me that month. And let, let me just say, as a, six year, a sixth grader, there's a lot of things to pray for Andy about. I didn't realize it at the time, but, but Bill and Mary Lou would also intentionally sit with me on Wednesday nights at church dinner, speak with me every Sunday morning, they were deeply committed to praying for me in ways that I will never fully understand. And did you know that to this day, over 25 years later, I get a note uh, via Facebook from them every single month letting me know that they're praying for me. You know, according to American Psychology Association, age diversity positively contributes not only to organizational thriving, but also to health and well-being. There's been more substantial research in psychology and mental and physical well-being across all ages and, and the meaningful intergenerational connections that happen in people's lives. Take, for example, children as young as 9 weeks to 13 months old demonstrate a higher level of interaction and cooperative play with older adults uh, when compared to children not involved in intergenerational programs. Children in preschool who are partnered in diverse generations show better socio-emotional outcomes, such as an increased tolerance of others, increased empathy, less judgment, greater social acceptance. Skip down to middle schoolers who they've shown that when they have uh, dynamic intergenerational uh, interaction, they have rapid uh, physical, socio-emotional, and moral development. And then going all the way to the oldest generation among us, they found that strong intergenerational connections show a stronger sense of community, a decrease in social isolation, improvement to the quality of life, greater life satisfaction, 
a stronger sense of purpose and self-worth and self-esteem and empowerment. There's a reduction in falls and frailty, an increase in strength and balance and walking speed and uh, instrumental activities in, in daily lives, all from intergenerational connections. One study specifically looked at how volunteering across generations improves mental well-being, finding people that invested at least 200 hours per year experience higher cognitive functioning, such as mental alertness, executive functioning, and even the structure of the brain shows more volume and activity. Evaluation data suggests that, that improved in performance in our life, an intergenerational connection, affects us in deeper ways than we know. Another name that comes to mind is Blondell Johnson. She is one of my former church members at First Baptist Church of Clayton, North Carolina. And in my time at the church, she experienced the unimaginable grief of losing her husband unexpectedly. At the age of 72, she was widowed and, and was facing unanticipated chapters ahead. And I began to notice that Blondell began to participate in some of the youth events, even though her grandchildren had already graduated and moved on to college. She would show up for service Saturday. She would sign up to have a group of teenage girls from the church stay at, at her home for the in-town in youth retreat. And then she started going with us to Ecuador every single summer. And I remember having a conversation with her on a trek in the mountains in the Andes, and I asked her, so what are you doing here? And she said, I realized when my husband died that I didn't know everything I thought I knew about God and about life. And being around these teenagers at my age is teaching me so much and giving me an opportunity to invest deeply in other people's lives. What our scripture shows us, what research has found, is that intergenerational connections leads to thriving, both individually and collectively. And we can see from Blondell's story, a, a recent research, intergenerational connections provides mutually shared experience that improves us mentally and bodily and spiritually. Mentoring one another, despite our age difference, is a way to continue and broaden and deepen our understanding of God and of life. Mentoring goes both ways, recognizing that age and experience is not always a byproduct of wisdom and truth. But it means that we need to develop healthier communication habits, understanding how we can hear and speak to one another, understanding we all hear and perceive things differently. We live in a world that just wants to bark truth, and whoever barks the loudest wins. We live in an age where everyone merely wants to be heard while not actually listening to others, because you know at the end of the day, we're all right in our own minds but listening to perspectives of all, knowing that wisdom and insight neither has an expiration date nor has a maturity date. That is to say, wisdom and insight does not only come with age. People sometimes think that someone younger knows less, has less experiences, less worthy of opportunities. I, I think we forget that age doesn't necessarily have anything to do with it. Some people experience a lot shorter amount of time and have learned skills that we didn't and have the wisdom at our particular age that they have. And if we can truly listen to one another, seeing each other as truly children of God, then our level of tolerance and inclusion is raised. 
we can begin to see while I might hold certain beliefs and passions and identities and interests and perspectives, it doesn't mean that everyone else also has to share those same things, and that's okay. The intergenerational connections of the church can develop unexpected friendships, foster empathy, promote collaboration and cooperation, offer meaningful two-way mentoring, and broaden and deepen our perspective and insight for everyone involved. So the invitation this morning is pretty simple and straight. We are inviting everyone to engage in meaningful intergenerational connections within UBC. And this is as simple as having a conversation of somebody of a different age than you on Sunday mornings. Don't know what to talk about? We help you out every single Sunday with a question. <laughs> it begins there. Open your mind and hold back the criticism when things are done differently than what you are used to. There probably is a good reason for it. Take, for example, our Sunday worship experience. We're trying to create an experience in which all people can recognize at least one song they know and in a style they are familiar with. No, not everything within our worship experience will be just for you, but it might be for someone else also. Open your time and open up yourself to participate across generations in activities that do not directly benefit your age group. Volunteer across age groups, realizing that your presence enhances the experience of others. For example, if you're younger, why not decorate and set up for our retiree luncheon once a month? Or if you're older, why not dedicate a few Saturdays to helping out at the soccer academy? Our church-wide gatherings are intended to be intergenerational events that the fall gathering, the Thanksgiving meal, the, the Christmas brunch, the spring gathering, the summer gatherings are not just for young families with children. Of course, there's other formal ways that you can connect across generations through our Barnabas Project, which Adam so beautifully spoke about earlier. It's intended to build relationships between different ages by pairing them together as prayer partners. And all it requires of you is to hang out with your Barnabas Project partner on the first Sunday of the month for 15 to 20 minutes before worship. You can connect with Tanya Parks if you're interested in, in being paired in this beautiful partnership that we have. Recognizing that your presence brings a greater formation to others and to yourself. Imagine what is missing and the thriving we are failing to achieve if you do not think that your presence makes a difference. So may we strive to do the little things that will have a big impact. Intergenerational connections in the church can develop unexpected friendships, foster empathy, promote cooperation and collaboration. They can offer meaningful two-way mentoring and broaden and deepen our perspective and insight of God and life. Intergenerational connections leads to thriving. This morning, I invite you uh, in the worship guide. We've provided a space for you to, to write a written response. Maybe jot down some thoughts about how God is speaking to you this morning through the text and how you're challenged to take action. Let's enter into this time of meditation together.